shipping and supply chain issues were a major component of the inflation that we were having, and those items are dropping in price quickly. We're seeing the same thing happen at at the pump for diesel and for gasoline. Those are major components of inflation in any way you, you can take the price of energy out of inflation, but it still affects it. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Together we are bald, and we purport to tell things of an interesting nature that would otherwise be boring. Well, maybe maybe we purport to tell things that are boring in that ways that would otherwise be interesting. I'm not sure if we've ever gotten that right ways forward and forward ways backwards, uh, inside out or upside down. One of those things. But we must begin with some disclosures. As any important uh, speaker should, they must first tell you all the things to be aware of before you're aware of anything else. The Personal Wealth Coach is not only the name of this program, which you would have never guessed by yourself, I'm sure. It also then is the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Um, But that doesn't mean that the SEC particularly likes that firm or dislikes that firm. It's just a regulatory agency. And the fiduciary investment advice side of things can't be offered on the radio or on a podcast because there's all kinds of privacy violations, presuming that we have any listeners at all, which is quite a presumption if you ask me. Uh, I'm not listening, and that's for one. So that's we've got at least negative one listener so far. Uh, so registered with the SEC, but can't give advice on the air. So what the heck are we doing on the air? We're just making noises, I guess. And the SEC does not approve or disapprove of this radio program. I, that's what I just said. They don't particularly yeah, like it. Yeah, I just, had to, just, like just it. had to say that. I just said that again. Yeah, but but do I approve or disapprove <clears throat> of you saying that? That's that. I I I can't tell if I can or not. Right. That's um, correct. So privacy issues say we can't give investment advice. There's a lot of other reasons we actually have to know everybody that's listening and all that stuff, which might be really easy if there's only one of you out there. Um, So on top of that, if we can't give advice, what are we doing? Well, hopefully giving some education. Hopefully what we tell you today leaves you with more knowledge in your brain that you wish to have there than was in there before doesn't necessarily mean that it'll be that you wish to have there. We are really good at giving information that is really hard to evict from your brain cavity once you get it. Or at least I have a brain cavity. Other people seem to have space in there. Thinking about renting a warehouse, leaving it empty, and calling it an errant space museum. (laughs) See, this space has been here for a long time. This air has been breathed by things and people. Has a great history. For a long time. For a long time, yes. It's a... You can muse about it, which is thus it's a museum. Um, Yes, but you have a disclosure you wish to give as well. Well, the information that we present on this educational radio program, or internet program as the case may be, has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the completeness or accuracy of said information. We do, however, guarantee and warranty that unsaid information is incomplete. True. Yes. That's that is so, quite quite a large leap. 
We have a question that's been waiting since before the episode began from okay. Inquisitor John. All right. Um, as is tradition, Inquisitor John has sent us digital pictures of the paper Wall Street Journal so that we may compare it to our digital version of the Wall Street Journal. And his question is about an index that's quoted in a story, the headline of which is Supply Chains Ready for New Global Era. Um and it's uh, his question is, how long has this index been active? Um, and he's got a circled area that says uh, uh, industry experts say return, a return to normal as the Federal Reserve Bank of New York described its global supply chain pressure index in February hardly me- means that companies are going back to conventional. OK, he says, what is this index? How long has it been around? Global Supply Chain Pressure Index. Simple answer to that is complicated. Sorry, but I'll give you a simple answer anyway. It's only been available to the public to view since around January of 2022. So this article in the Wall Street Journal talking about watching it collapse back in 2020. Well, we didn't watch it collapse. We couldn't watch it collapse. The index didn't exist yet. But the data for the index goes back to 1997. So the Federal Reserve Bank of New York worked with um, uh, the Liberty Street Economics to put together this index, which is a really nice index. It ta- tells us what's going on in the supply chain world. Where where are supply chains broken? And we had a lot of them. Well, we're back not only to where we were before the pandemic, but we're actually in a better position than we were before the pandemic as far as supply chains go. Uh, Prices are dropping for transatlantic and trans-Pacific shipments. There's a recent spike on trans-Pacific shipments. This You can't see this in this index, but it's from the sources that they're getting the data. It's kind of a cool index, but that's coming from an economics nerd. I like to look at things. It's measured in standard deviations, which most people will not get a whole lot of benefit out of this article the author of the article the writer here does not understand standard deviations he's saying that we're back to normal that's not what the index is saying it's talking about standard deviations up and down i know that's a little complicated underneath it what is being said clearly is that the cost of shipping is down the uh nasty tangles that we had of hundreds upon hundreds of container ships sitting off the coast of California waiting to be unloaded. That's not the case anymore. We opened up a lot of logistical entry points on the West Coast and on the East Coast, which is why we're seeing the prices drop right at the same time that China's increasing its exports. So we've talked about this before. China's come back It's increasing its exports to us. It's increasing its exports to everybody right now. And at the same time, prices are dropping. We've seen a recent spike in Asia-U.S. shipping rates, but that's mostly because of a contract negotiation between the shippers and the people that wish to ship. Uh, They're an annual contract, and they kind of coincide with early May. So the negotiations are going right now. Shipments are actually a little bit down. Series of big container ships heading from Taiwan and from uh, the the ports along uh, China's coast have been canceled because they don't have enough to fill them up yet. So what that says is that we've got enough of a supply chain branching across from Europe to the United States 
and back and forth and from Asia to the United States and back and forth, that prices are coming down. This is happening as well in the United States when we look at uh, trucking. Trucking shipments are down from the very peak. When people were, this is what you were saying at the beginning of the hour, when inventories were building up, when uh, the end of last year, uh, shipping in the United States, isn't it weird how you call it shipping when it's truck? Um, it's, It's a little weird to think about the ships on the highway. But yes, shipping in the United States uh, is way down from the ultra high rates and ultra high competition that was going on to get a truck to take your goods from one place to another. Uh, The warehouses were filling up. They're all filled up. We're starting to see that drop back down. (coughs) Talked about this at the end of last year and the beginning of this year. So seeing this even out, this we're coming back to a place where it's more like a new normal. So in this article, it says going back to conventional. No, uh, some would say complacent supply chains. That's not the case. We've got a lot more options available on where to ship from and where to ship to when it comes to the global supply chain network. And that's good news. We talk about capacity utilization last week. The capacity utilization of the ports looks a lot healthier than it did even before the pandemic started because we scrambled so hard. We only had one major shipping inroad on the West Coast. The port of Los Angeles was it. And it's not alone anymore. We have five big ports on the West Coast that are receiving traffic. Uh, If you worked at the Port of Los Angeles, you may get laid off at this point because there's it's not the only inroad into the United States anymore. Um, Just for useless trivia, but something that I find um, interesting is the word important and how it has changed its meaning over the years. It was kind of like using the words for the long distance phone call. Hey, you have a long distance phone call. That used to be really important. With a cell phone, it's really no different than any other cell phone call. At this point, if somebody's calling from Florida or from New York or from San Francisco or anywhere else, it's going to be the same rate as if you were calling your friend down the block. The word important means that it was shipped from another country. Imported. Yes, that is the word. And you kept your imported things very carefully because they came from somewhere else. And I made a silly joke the other day about a little plastic thing. My sister-in-law calls those LPTs um, that was shipped from the other side of the planet. And it's worth less than a nickel about how it's very important. And um, it kind of gives a little flip there. Our import rates are down. So the word important is going to keep its meaning, but it's still kind of humorous that it just simply meant that it's coming from somewhere else. All of that is good news for inflation. I know that sounded rather complicated, but what it costs to bring something to the United States was a very major part of the inflation that we saw during the pandemic. We couldn't get the things that we wanted, so we started bidding against each other on the price because we wanted it. So we bid the price up on all kinds of things. Well, now that shipping's pricing is coming down, we're seeing that in inflation as well. And to wrap that all up, sounds like I'm changing the subject, but I'm not. The series I bonds from the U.S. Treasury just released their newest interest rate. Um, They raised their fixed rate 
from 0.4% to 0.9%, which is more than double. That's pretty cool. But the overall rate dropped from above 9% to 4.3%. Well, what is that about? Series I bonds are based on inflation. And we were telling everybody, hey, it's a good idea. Get these things. The, it, 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 we had one month of inflation that high and it locked in for six months. So if we can get that interest rate on this, it's great. Well, now it's down to 4.3%. That is fantastic news. That means that our inflation rate has dropped in half. This is not happening in the UK. The UK is still double digit. Europe still has really close to double digit in a lot of areas. Spain's looking pretty good, but they take a lot of siestas. That probably is the reasoning. So to wrap that up, shipping and supply chain issues were a major component of the inflation that we were having. And those items are dropping in price quickly. We're seeing the same thing happen at, at the pump for diesel and for gasoline. Those are major components of inflation in any way you, you can take the price of energy out of inflation, but it still affects it. To get a, an avocado from Brazil, you have to factor in the energy cost to get it here. And that means that with those prices going down, we should see some good news on the inflation front in the near future. Uh, Philip has sent us a question about shipping imports and exports. He said, tell us why we only had one port last year for the last two years of the uh, last year for the last two years on the West Coast. Um, was it? We had, had multiple ports on the West Coast. Yeah. Was it because of more regulations on the industry? No, it was because the Port of Los Angeles spent a lot of money dredging out its channels. Some of that was taxpayer money. Some of that was private money. We as a country have spent a lot of money on dredging channels during the pandemic. A lot of dredging got done, which meant, and this kind of goes with a trend in the shipping world, there was one port that was able to take the really, really, really big shipping companies. They have been making their ships bigger and bigger and bigger, and that means they need, they need more draft. And as long as the port of Los Angeles was accepting those, and it costs a lot of money to dredge those channels, it was a status quo and there were people talking about, hey, maybe we should dredge more ports and maybe we should open them up a little bit more. But it wasn't really a big push until we get a, got a surge of ships all trying to get in at the same time because they got delayed because of lockdowns. This wasn't due to regulation or anything else. It was just when you have a comfortable supply chain that hasn't had a snag in 20 years. You don't talk about, well, let's scrap the whole thing and make a new one that's better and more redundant because you're talking about a lot of money to do that. It takes a crisis to get that to occur. And we had one. Boy, did we. The, as far as the shipping goes, it's probably the biggest crisis that we've seen since ever, really, because the level of traffic that we were seeing isn't comparable to any other point in history. There's no other time that the amount of goods being shipped has ever been like this. We've got a global economy, uh, and this is a tough one. We, we can't cut ourselves off from China. It's not possible. Too many things are made there. We can move in that direction, but to cut us off from China would affect China and the United States very much like the sanctions on Russia are affecting them right now. We're not dependent on Russia, but Europe was, and they're very near recession right now. Their inflation is much higher than us right now because they were more dependent on Russia. So those are, those are tough situations. And I think 
we're making some big moves to move, you know, to onshore our manufacturing and automate it. But it's important to understand that. I bet you have a couple of things to talk about. Oh, I got a lot of things. Um, although listening to you is always pleasant. The um, GDP came out yesterday, the first estimate by the BEA. The BEA GDP. You get that one? Yes. If you say it all together, it makes no sense. <clears throat> the DOL BEA GDP. Came in with news. Oh, actually, the DOL BEA seasonally adjusted. Annualized version. First guess. Oh, I mean, first estimate. Yes, we call it a guess for real, <laughs> but they, they have an estimate. Well, it said, and, and we wrote a lot about it in the newsletter, it is not what it appears to be. I mean, if it, you read the actual report from the BEA, there's a lot of numbers in there, and they're kind of eye-opening. Yeah. We have certainly some sections in the economy that are slowing down and it, houses, for example, are dropping in value and sales are low. Those are definitely negatives in the GDP. But the, if you look down deeper and you look at the whole picture, the supposed recession we're about to get, and unemployment has always risen significantly before recession. It isn't rising. Uh, the inverted yield curve that we talked about earlier is always there before recession. But And this is the most severe inverted yield curve yield curve we've seen in at least half a century. And this severe of an inverted yield curve traditionally causes a recession. So why aren't we seeing a recession? By the way, last year, if you care to follow what the pundits were saying, last summer and into the fall, we should be in a major recession right now, according to all those indicators. But we aren't. As a matter of fact, the economy is growing a little too fast in several areas still. So their estimate was 1.1% annualized growth, which comes to right. a little less than a quarter percent for the actual quarter. Yeah, it's actually running nominally. It's running at over 5% growth. But to, to subtract out inflation from it, and the funny thing is, <clears throat> the growth rate in the economy that's being measured was for the first quarter. Right. The inflation rate that they're using to subtract from that growth to get a 1.1 is a full year's inflation. I don't see the validity in that, but apparently they do at the BEA, so they're doing it. it the it, issue is... We've had problems with how they calculate the GDP since since I have started looking at the GDP. It's, it is a standard way of doing it, but that doesn't mean it actually measures growth very well. <laughs> but personal income is still rising. Consumer spending is still rising. Disposable personal income is up a lot. That is the income that the average family in the United States has after subtracting out, paying the bills, paying the payments on loans, and all the stuff you got to spend money on. The leftover money is like about 8% of what they're earning. Now, about half of that is going into savings. Savings rate is up above, it's like 4.9%, I think, which is pretty stout. Well, that still leaves 3.1% of the average household income to be spent, and they, they're they spending it. This is what drives our economy. Uh, and saving, savings it rate is 5.1%. It was up okay. in the 9% in August of 2021. So 5.1% is still- Moody's is saying right now 4.8 to 5.1. rose from yeah, 4. Yeah, 5.1. 5.1%. So savings are good. Credit card uh, use is good. However, credit card debt is not piling up. MasterCard just recorded record earnings, which means a lot of people are using their credit cards. However, ma the debt on, on things like that has been shrinking. So we've got, looking at the very base level of their economy, a tremendously healthy economy, while the pundits continue to chant recession coming, recession coming, recession coming. I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, the We have, by any stretch of the imagination, the biggest, most healthy economy in the world 
and we're moaning and groaning and complaining about it, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's the way life is. We like to moan and groan and complain, I guess. So wage gains are up. The credit crunch, there's a big, there's another big issue. Um, the diff- the spread between the interest rate on junk bonds, high yield bonds and treasuries is unusually low during fine times of financial stress where a, the, we're seeing the early stages of what's going to become a recession. That spread gets bigger because people who are loaning money at high interest rates to companies raise the interest rate. And when they raise the interest rate because there's a recession coming, you get a big spread between treasuries and what we call junk bonds. There is a very, very low spread right now. So there's many things out there that are saying we're not going to get a recession. And there's a few things saying absolutely we are. The leading economic indicators have been down for 11 months now. Normally, that's a very good indicator. But we are in a very unusual situation in the economy right now coming out of this uh, pandemic. And I don't think any of the long-term consistent indicators mean what they used to mean in this situation. We'll have to watch it. But I just I still don't see the evidence of a major recession coming. Right. I think we'll see a slowing growth. We'll still continue to grow, but below trend. Like 1.1% is a good number. If we can go through the year on that, we'll be just fine because sometime next year, everything picks up again. That's what I'm seeing. Anyway, we're about out of time. But if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually do give fiduciary investment advice and uh, such as that in portfolio management to people of relatively high net worth. Uh, we've got a uh, voicemail waiting during the weekend, normal times, normal business hours. We have real life people rather than a phone tree. Uh, if you'd like to ask us to talk to you about stuff in person, uh, the local number is 254-947-1111. Or you can reach that line toll-free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our uh, website, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can see our famously made-for-radio faces, our wonderful staff, read about our philosophy, read our newsletters going back a long ways, and sign up for them. You can get them for free. They will be emailed to you on Friday evenings. Uh, you can contact us through the contact form or email at Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. That's Tango Papa Whiskey Charlie or the personal wealth coach. And until next hour, thank you very much for listening and we'll be back with more then.